in order for us to want to help enough people to get what they want and we'll get everything we want, we need to have two core things before we get started in apartment syndication. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, for all my fix and flippers out there, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by lowering your loan payments to the bank or maybe your private lender? Well, our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, you know Patch of Land, they've been on the show, representatives of their company have been on the show many times, they've been a sponsor of this show many, many times, they're back for more because they love you and they love working with the best ever listeners and they've got an interesting point of view on interest rates and that is that it's the interest rates that we are quoted shouldn't necessarily be taken at face value because perhaps a higher interest rate could actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And they have a white paper on how that is possible and how that can be applied to your fix and flip business to help your bottom line get more profitable and to help you choose the best uh, lender for your financing needs. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and they've got a white paper for you and it will walk you through the way to evaluate interest rates in terms in general on your loan so that you truly are getting the best interest rate because there are some tricky things some lenders try to do to um, glaze over the fact that their lower interest rate, quote unquote, is actually higher based on some technical things that they put into it. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless and get that white paper so that you can save money on your fix and flip projects. Patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluff. And today we are doing follow along Friday. We have a fun conversation that will be helpful for investors who are considering raising money from other investors to buy deals or continuing to use their own funds. So that's going to be the main part of our conversation, pros and cons. We're going to do a little role play action and Theo is going to talk about if he should or shouldn't and I'll take the opposing view. And then we've got some miscellaneous updates and some helpful things for you also. So how do we want to kick it off, Theo? I say we jump right into our little mock debate. And so as you said, I am someone who's supporting the side of syndicating and you're going to play devil's advocate and be the person who wants to continue using their own money. And we'll go from there. So I think the biggest reason why syndication is superior to using your own money is just the fact that you can do a lot more deals and a lot larger deals by raising your own money. I mean, there really is no limit to how much money you can raise. And there is a limit to how much money you can save to buy your own buildings. So for example, if I wanted to buy, let's say a $10 million deal, if I was going to use my own money, unless I had some family money or a amazing job or won the lottery, it would take quite some time to save the $3 million required to fund the deal. Now, obviously you could potentially do some sort of creative financing and get in for lower, but in that case, it would probably be over leveraged, which is something we like to shy away from. Whereas if you are wanted by that same $10 million deal, in reality, you don't really have to have any of your own money to do it. As long as you 
can raise the money. And obviously you have the capability of raising the money, but we can get that into a second. Just the sheer fact that you can do a larger amount of deals and a larger deals themselves based off of using other people's money versus having to wait months or years to save up your own money. That was one of the main pros in my book. Yeah, I agree. And for the purposes of this conversation, we're talking about the general principle of it, obviously. But then can we talk about you specifically? Because I think if we get more granular with you in particular, that way we can draw some parallels for other best ever listeners who might be in a similar situation. There's a perfect example for me. So right now, I obviously use my own money to buy deals. And it is kind of one of those things where I could find as many deals as I wanted to. I could do all the upfront work. I could study the market. But until I have the actual money to buy a deal, my hands are tied. I'll get into this in my updates, but I'm sending out a direct mailer right now and I'm getting a lot of responses, but I can only buy one of those deals myself with my own money. And the rest I have to wholesale, let the real estate agent just represent them. But if I was able to raise money and syndicate the deals, in reality, I could take down all of them as long as I'm able to find the money. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is a good point. And I don't have anything to counter that. You're right. It's a more scalable way. Well, I guess one thing I will say is let's talk about how you scale. You scale by bringing in other business partners. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you enjoy having phone conversations with people? If I were to call you up and say, hey, let's chat, how fun is that for you? I mean, it depends on what we're talking about, but... (laughs) If we're talking about something that's completely random, but that was eight, nine, depending on what time of the day it was. Really? But I enjoy phone conversations, yeah. Oh, wow. That surprises me, but that's a good thing. Okay. What about responding to emails? I'd rather do a phone call than emails just because emails kind of take a long time to get your point across. There's a lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. But if someone asks me a question on email, right when I see it pop up, I'll usually just respond to it right away. Cool. I will say that you will have more phone calls. So you'll be in your personal nirvana because of that. You just love phone calls, which is something new I just learned about you. And you will receive more emails. But, and this does go back to the pro side of syndicating. I'll tell you from my personal experience, and I have, I'm not exactly sure how much, but somewhere around 90 to $100 million worth of investor funds that have been invested in our deals. And I don't receive one email a day on average. It's much less than that because we do regularly scheduled monthly updates. I probably get one or two emails a week, maybe. And right now it's around K1s when they'll be sent out and just the timing of that. And for anyone listening who is an investor by the 31st or earlier of March. So you will have more, but... If you're performing and you're communicating regularly, then it's really not a lot at all from an investor communication standpoint. But as you know, because you helped me put these monthly updates together with our investors, there is work involved every month that you wouldn't have otherwise because you don't have to report to yourself when you've got your own properties. When's the last time you sent emailed yourself a status report? Right. It's pretty funny. I'll give Marcella like some up some status reports just because she's not involved in it at all. So obviously it's not oh, man. involved as for the larger syndicated deals, but once a month, once we get the profit and loss for the month and if there's any type of issue, turnover, raising the rents, 
it's something we just kind of do over late in bed at night. It's not like a formal meeting or anything. Yeah, man, that's great. And that's something to consider and to implement if we're buying our own deals with our own money and thinking about doing syndication later is to get in a habit of doing those updates to a significant other or to someone else. That way you've got it ironed out versus starting from scratch. Okay, then I'm good with you on that front. Another I guess, pro for doing a syndication over an apartment deal is, yes, there is more work, but like compared to the amount of work you're going to be doing regardless, it's really not that much, especially if you're doing investor email updates once a month. And obviously, you're not going to have like 10, 12 deals right up front. You'll have one deal that you're talking to your investors for. And that email might take maybe an hour, a month max. And then maybe another, let's just be generous and say five hours a month of responding to emails compared to all the time it takes to create your team, to find the deal, to underwrite the deal, to do due diligence, to do the ongoing proper management, the ongoing asset management, regardless of even money or if you're using your own money or someone else's money. Really, the only difference is you have investors you communicate with, but again, compared to the overall amount of time you're going to spend on the entire process regardless, all the benefits of larger deals, being able to do more deals, and other benefits of syndication, I think far away the little added extra time you have to do putting together some emails, especially since you only have a couple of deals at first. Well, then let's talk about something more foundational and something that is, in my opinion, the most important consideration point, assuming that you're qualified to do this, which we haven't even talked about in this conversation, but we will. But assuming that you're qualified, which Theo, I believe you are, but assuming people are qualified to do it, and we'll talk about that here in a second. The most important thing to account for is that you are now responsible for someone else's money. And your relationship with family and friends when they invest will forever be changed. You won't have the same exact relationship that you have had with them previously when they invest with you. You just don't because you are business partners now. And when you're in business together, there's a shift in the relationship. And that's something that's not talked about for whatever reason. But it should be because when you invest with family and friends, then there's now a different level of commitment that you have towards them, but there's just a shift in the dynamic. It shifts slightly towards more transactional in nature as it should because you're partnering on a deal and you're overseeing the deal. So they want to make sure that their funds are being invested wisely and the business plans doing well. So when a friend invests with you, no longer will you go to dinner or go play video games or have drinks or go whatever you do with your friend. No longer will you just do that. You will also have a conversation about the business or if you don't, just know that it is on their mind as it is on your mind. And it just changes things. It's good if you're doing well, but if you don't do well or if there's a challenge or a dip in occupancy or whatever it is, then just know that your relationship just going to change. I've got really good friends who invest with me 
And it's a little, I don't know, terrifying is I'm always just terrified that we're not going to do the right thing. So that pushes me to go above and beyond and our team to go above and beyond to make sure we are doing the right stuff. But the word that I think of is terrifying because I'm terrified to do something wrong with the investment and their investment dollars because I don't want to hurt or negatively impact our relationship at all. And assuming that someone's not a sociopath, then they're also going to have that type of feeling or some degree of that feeling. And you don't have that. That dynamic is not in place when you're just working on your own deals. But when you start bringing in partners, there's a different element from a mental standpoint. And you certainly could argue that that then pushes you to do better than what you would if you had only your own money in the deal. And I think that's a valid argument because I think we perform better. We invest alongside our investors, but investors invest in our deals. And I think we perform better than if we just had our own money in the deal. But it's something that you've got to be comfortable with because if you're not, then that can negatively affect how your relationships with those individuals and it could also negatively affect just the overall plan. And it sounds like it's something that once you overcome it in the beginning, it kind of reduces, but doesn't completely go away. It's always that like in the back of your mind. But sometimes you told me that you did one of your videos about, can I raise money if I'm not good at sales? And your response to that was stop being selfish. Because kind of what you're explaining right now is one of the main reasons why I don't syndicate deals because I yeah, terrified is a good word of using other people's money. And just kind of the, my ability to actually raise the money in itself, kind of those two things combined. And, but as you said in that video, instead of kind of thinking about it from your perspective and getting in your own head and thinking about what can go wrong for you or just kind of go wrong in general, you were saying what you would focus on or what you recommend you focus on is how by raising money and allowing other people to invest in these stellar deals that you find, you're helping them achieve their financial goals. And once they achieve their financial goals, they can do whatever they want to do in life and just be happier people all around. They'll probably give more because they'll have more money and just the positive impact it'll have on people's lives by you helping them raise their financial goals. Whereas if you're just investing by yourself, yeah, maybe you yourself will do all that stuff once you reach your goals, but it's not really impacting many other people at the same time. Like, yeah, you're impacting people on your team and the residents that live there, but the added layer of bringing in investors who may be investing in the stock market and not getting as high of a return as they could if they invested somewhere else, they just don't know. And yeah, something could go wrong and you lose your money, but as long as you have the right team and everything in place and the deal goes well, then they'll make way more money than they would be able to make anywhere else. And then obviously, from your perspective, you help them out, they help you out, and it's kind of a cyclical relationship where you're both kind of riding up to the top together as opposed to me just doing it by myself. Yeah, I agree. It reminds me of the quote Zig Ziglar said, he said, help enough people get what they want and you'll eventually get everything you want. Exactly. And it's true. And Robert Kiyosaki, when I interviewed him, he talked about the richest people in the world build a network and everyone else looks for work. Mm. And it's true. It's the same approach, both those quotes and what you just said. And when you partner with others along the way, especially with real estate, real estate lends itself really well towards partnerships. That is a business that really is naturally built for partnerships. Then it's helpful, but it is a consideration point and that ties into in order for us to want to help enough people to get what they want and we'll get everything we want and to partner with investors, we need 
to have two core things before we get started in apartment syndication. One is a track record in business and or real estate. And two is the education that is necessary for us to be prudent financial stewards of investor dollars. So from a business track record, what is your business and or real estate track record that would qualify you? Well, I'm in very good shape on the business end, not necessarily me, but my business partner, aka my wife, she manages, I don't even know how much, but it's almost nearing billions of dollars worth of sales at her company. And she's had a ton of promotions at that job right now. And so I'd be able to leverage her (laughs) business experience for sure on that end. And real estate, I mean, personally, I've got 13 units that are cash flowing now. Obviously, I've not had them for a year yet, but they're doing really well. I've taken a, a deal full cycle where I bought it, rehabbed it, and sold it for a profit. But I think more importantly, in regards to syndicating, in a couple of months, I can tell them that I co-authored a book about the entire apartment syndication process. And I think that in itself would probably speak volumes to people. I mentioned that at my meetup group last night, which I'll get into a little bit. And they're all like, wow, that's crazy. Like, I want to learn about syndication from you. So even though I haven't necessarily done a syndication myself, I've created a syndication cash flow calculator. I've helped you with your consulting program. I work for a guy who controls nearly $300 million in apartment syndications. Some of that is my experience, but some of it is also, and I'm sure this might be what you bring up next, but it's the relationships you have and making sure Mm -hmm. that you're surrounded by people that do know what they're doing, that if something were to go wrong or if you were to have some sort of question, you have someone to go to instead of having to kind of scramble and, and figure it out by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And so clearly you check the boxes. I mean, what we look for, what any best ever listener who's thinking about going from their own money to partnering with others, what you'll want to have in place is a track record of accomplishments professionally and or a track record of being successful in real estate. Now, how do you find success? Subjective. Ultimately, it's up to the investors who are investing with you. My recommendation for defining success is having some sort of rental portfolio currently. That's important Mm -hmm. uh, that you have at least a couple properties in your portfolio. But again, if you don't have that, but say you are a medical sales device professional who's been promoted five times in three years and you have risen to the top of your department, well, There's something to be said with that. Plus, it's likely you're a pretty savvy individual who can pick up the education piece, which is a second part that we're about to talk about. So while you're not ready yet, once you get the education, you will be. So first is the track record. And then the second piece is the education. Theo, you combine both of those and what you were saying with you're writing a book with me on how to do this. So clearly we're writing a book on it. So you know what you're doing there. So from an education standpoint, ultimately it's, do you know the process from start to finish? Mm-hmm. And are you able to effectively underwrite a deal and show that it will make money and then have the resourcefulness to put the partners on the team to help you execute on it. Because one of the main challenges people will have when you start out is lack of credibility. And you can't create years of experience that you've 
had if you haven't had it. Mm -hmm. So you have to leverage other people's years of experience. When you were talking about your background, you mentioned working with me. So leveraging my experience is beneficial for you. But when you have a deal, leveraging my experience will be an okay talking point. But if I'm not investing in your deal and I don't have money in the deal, then it's just a talking point. Mm -hmm. So really what you would do is you partner with someone who has that experience and bring them in on the general partnership side. And then they would be able to have a stake in how well the project does or doesn't do, which shows alignment of interest. And that we've talked about that before. It could be consultants, property managers, brokers, other investors who own property in the area, any number of people. Yeah. Cause I would say the one thing that I would be lacking in right now which obviously is access, not access to capital, but just the verbal commitments to capital would be like the team. I met on a broker, I have a property management company. But again, I think based off my background, that wouldn't be too large of an obstacle to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any other points well, that you wanted to mention? I thought I mentioned one thing in regards to actually raising capital, just because we haven't talked about this before, but I have a meetup last night and someone that was in attendance, his, his name's Matt Nesbaum. I hope, yep. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. He actually has a podcast, The Corporate Investor. And he was mentioning how he's starting to raise money. And one of the techniques that he's had a lot of success with is he will go on to his LinkedIn. So obviously I think he said he created a list of all the people that he remembers from memory in an Excel document and then kind of called all of them up and just mentioned what he was doing. Obviously he's not selling a specific deal. He's just mentioning, hey, I'm starting to raise money for deals. If I find a deal, kind of ask what their goals are. If I find a deal that matches your goals, would you be interested? But then on top of that, just because his list wasn't long enough or he just wanted to find more investors, one of the two, he went on LinkedIn and, you know, we all have a bunch of LinkedIn friends and, and followers. I'm not sure what they're called on there, colleagues, right? And maybe there are people who went to college with or people who went to high school with or we grew up with. Maybe someone met at a conference a couple of years ago that we haven't talked to in a long time, but there, there's some sort of relationship there. And so he'll find that individual on LinkedIn and then send them a private message, kind of using the same messaging that he'll use in the call. And he said that for every five people he reaches out to, one person will respond with interest. That's a 20% response rate. So if you take an hour a day or half an hour a day and try to message five, 10 people, then each day you'll get one or two potential people that would be interested in investing a deal if you got there. So not necessarily related to the pros and the cons, but just another strategy I heard last night about how people are having success fighting verbal commitments. Because kind of, as you said, getting over the fear of raising money, but then also actually being able to do it are probably some of the two biggest hurdles. So that's just one solution out of many. We've got plenty of blog posts on how to raise money on the best ever blog. And we've got them all set up by categories now. So you can just click on the raising money category and there's over 30 or 40 posts that are just all about people raising money for deals. I did that on our first Ashcroft deal because things have done a 180. I don't proactively reach out to potential investors anymore. We do all the stuff that we do and then referrals and things like that come to us. But on our first deal, a 250 unit in Houston, I did not have all the funds that we needed to close. So I had to get really resourceful and I started messaging my colleagues on LinkedIn. And since the property was in Houston and I'm from Texas, so I have a lot of colleagues who live in Houston and I messaged however many I had colleagues in Houston and I'd write a personal message and I talked to them. I sent them a sentence or two about what we were working on and then they wanted to talk further. 
And I didn't get any investors from that, but it's a different ask from what you're talking about. From what you're talking about, I love that approach. But I just wanted to mention my story because of how resourceful and just we got to do what we got to do. And turns out that deal, we bought it for 14.1 million. We put in 2 million. And then about 16 months later, it appraised for 21.6 million. So our investors have received over 60%, 60% return on that. So props to everyone who invested in that and glad we did it. And those Houston investors who I reached out to, you should have invested. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> probably feeling salty right now. Yeah, exactly. But LinkedIn's a good tool and sometimes just got to be resourceful. And I love what Matt's doing. So we do have a question about syndication. We've got two questions. I think we can probably answer them pretty quickly. But Darren asks, what are the costs of raising money? Lawyers, regulations, et cetera. Lawyers, regulations, legal documents. I'm going to assume you're doing a 506B as in boy offering where you cannot publicly advertise because if you could, that would be another cost. Legal documents and the other items. It depends on if it's your first deal or not, because you might have some cost efficiencies if it is your second or after that deal, 20000 or so. Okay. Uh, and that's paid at closing, so it's not out of pocket. However, if you don't close on the deal, then obviously it is out of pocket. And then the second question was by Robert. And basically, he wants to passively invest in deals but that has several hundred thousand dollars in liquid cash, but it's not an accredited investor. And he wants to know how he can passively invest without being an accredited investor. Well, there's something called a sophisticated investor. And that's someone who I'm looking at Investopedia right now. They define it as someone who has sufficient investing experience and knowledge to weigh the risks and merits of an investment opportunity. I don't work with anyone but accredited investors, but there are a lot of syndicators who work with sophisticated and accredited investors and also even non-accredited investors. So I would find someone who works with, assuming that you are a sophisticated investor, I'd find someone who works with sophisticated investors. I know there's some crowdfunding platforms that you can invest regardless if you're accredited or not accredited too. All right, there you go. I think that was a good debate. I think a lot of valuable information was added there. And again, the more and more I have these conversations about syndications, the more and more I want to do it. So I might, in the near future, we might be able to kind of go into even more details on maybe my first syndicated deal. But again, that fear of raising money is something I still have. But I think as I get more education and more experience just in real estate in general, I'll have the confidence to do that. It is so strange that I think <laughs> I have no problem investing my own money, but like, which is going to affect me way more than someone else's money. But I think that's just human psychology for sure. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, I believe the last statement's incorrect though, because when you invest with your money, it's your money and that's it. When you invest with other people's money, you're likely investing alongside with them. Mm-hmm. So not only are you losing your money, but you're also losing other people's money. And if you do that, a bad domino effect would occur. So- Something to support, which you said earlier about using other people's money will make you like go above and beyond what you might have done with your own money. Uh, there's a study. I think this is the same psychological mechanism is happening, but the study would basically where people are more likely to give their dogs medication than they are to take medication themselves. So if they have some sickness, 
and they're given medication, the chances of them taking it are less than if their dog has some sickness in the medication for their dog. So in other words, they take care of their dogs more than they take care of themselves. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that can apply to other people too. People, for some reason, want to take care of other people more than themselves. Another example is people give advice to other people that we ourselves don't <laughs> necessarily follow. So I do totally think it's true that if I were to just kind of jump in and start using other people's money, the fact that I am afraid will drive me to not mess up because obviously I don't want that fear to be true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd much yeah. rather it be kind of pretend in my head. Makes sense. Good stuff. So just a few updates on my business. So I did host my first meetup last night. Congrats. You are incorrect about the number of people that show up. So I had... Oh, okay. I, I had 14 people RSVP, but Marcella dropped out last minute because she forgot she had a work dinner. Uh-huh. And so those 13 people that RSVP'd and 11 showed up. All right. That's really good. I was surprised. I was like... Yeah. I'm that, 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 that's just like if they were paying $2.50 like they do at mine in Cincinnati. So that's great. And one guy drove all the way down from Fort Myers, which is like a two-hour drive. Not for the media specifically. He was here for other reasons, but he stopped by. But it was a really good time. The majority of the people there either haven't done any deals yet or have like kind of done a deal where they like did a live and flip, but they're all interested in learning more. The most experienced guy owns 32 doors. I think he just bought a 20 unit and he's got 32 single family that he's going to sell off to buy more properties. And I think my favorite guy is a YouTuber who talks about cryptocurrency. <laughs> he wants to use his cryptocurrency winnings to invest in real estate. Okay. Um, I think there's a condo for sale in Miami for Bitcoin only. I read that like a month or two ago. Yeah. I'm kind of mimicking the approaches I've talked about in the past. I'm going to try to kind of just keep growing it. I created the meetup more for accountability purposes for myself because I'm kind of mimicking the best ever meetup where I created a Facebook group and people go there and post their goals. And I figured if I'm posting my goals on there, I don't meet them. And I'm the guy that's running the meetup. That's not going to look too good on me. So I'm going to have to actually accomplish these things. And it was a really good time. And I'm looking forward to doing it again next month. I'm not going to do the, the weekly meetup just because I had a conversation with the people that were there and no one was interested in a weekly meetup at all. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just do monthly and kind of- You made, that, you made that good of an impression on them. They don't want to see every week, huh? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. That's disrespectful to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear about the direct mail success. Oh, yeah. So I sent out the direct mailer and my agent called me uh, on Tuesday afternoon. She might have been exaggerating a little bit, but her phone blowing off the hook. And she was really surprised because she did not expect to receive any phone calls and she didn't expect to get any calls until the next couple of mailers. And right before we hopped on this call, she sent me a document with not necessarily the people that have called her just because there's still some back and forth going on there, but the people that are interested in selling. And so there's actually three people that are interested in selling their properties. Um, they're all fourplexes. Uh, they're all in the neighborhood that I want. We just need to get, obviously, some more information on the financial situation and get in there and actually see them. Uh, some of the people are like, oh, yeah, I want to sell, but you can't come in and see it. I'm just like, well, that's not really going to work because I'm not going to offer you a, a deal, especially after all the horror stories I've talked about on my fourplexes in Cincinnati. And people that, that don't know, Cincinnati homes are like over 100 years old. They might have cast iron pipes, boilers, boiler problems, radiator problems. Things like that, which are very expensive. So I definitely want to get into any building before I put in an offer, for sure. I'm really excited. And how many total mailers did you send out? I think like around 450. Okay, got it. Got <laughs> it. I didn't filter them the best because I mailed to all the 4 to 19 units. And so someone reached out with like a, a million dollar property, which I obviously can't take down myself. But 
the wheels started churning of, okay, well, is this an opportunity to attempt to raise money for my first deal and syndicate it? Maybe you partner with Matt, the guy yeah. who you mentioned earlier, who's doing the LinkedIn outreach. There you go. Sweet. Well, congrats on that. In like a couple of weeks from now, I will figure out exactly how many responses I've gotten. That way I could tell everyone more specifically what the response rate was. I know you'll have the numbers. Looking forward to that. Let's see. The big news on my front is that we were awarded less than 48 hours ago a new deal. So very excited about that. And for all of my accredited investors who are listeners of this podcast, you have not received an email from me about it because we are putting together all the information about the deal. And so that will be sent out in about two weeks or so. So really excited about this off-market deal that we were awarded. It's in Fort Worth and more details to come once we, one, officially have it under contract. We're working on the PSA purchase and sale agreement right now. And then two, once I share it with my investors, because I want them to get the info first. So excited about it. Can you mention how you actually found the deal? Yes. Yeah. The owner of the deal is someone we've had previous deals with. So we have a relationship with the owner of the deal and they enjoyed working with us on the last one. We enjoyed working with them and that one has gone very well. And this is a similar model. Awesome. Congratulations on that. And it kind of shows again, the power of the network. Yep. And leaving things when you do a transaction, leaving it on good terms where everyone feels good about it or great about it and then builds for future stuff. Absolutely. All right, so there's a couple of things to wrap it up here. I'll make sure you guys go join the Best Ever Show community on Facebook. And What's the URL? BestEverCommunity.com. And we post questions on there weekly. This week, we're going to do something a little different. So the question right now is, what is your biggest obstacle keeping you from starting real estate investing or scaling? So if you haven't started yet, what's holding you back? If you're maybe in a similar situation to me, what's holding you back from scaling? And then based off of those responses, next week, we're actually going to provide you some solutions on what you can do. So we're not going to go into crazy detail. We don't want the blog post to be 20,000 words, but we'll kind of give you some hints, maybe link to some other blog posts that we've already written or some podcasts that we've recorded just to kind of help you overcome that obstacle. So I think, uh, so, so oh, I'm, I, I would make sure once you hear this, go on there and, and post your, your response as quickly as possible, because I'd like to uh, at least, at least create the, uh, the blog post of what the actual responses were by tomorrow afternoon. And then next week we will write solutions. So if you can't get there in time, I'll check back on the thread just to see if there was any other response. Sweet. And hopefully we'll have that post pinned at the top of the group. That way it's easy to find for everyone who goes to besteverCommunity.com. And then finally, just to conclude, as always, make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for your opportunity to be the review of the week. We've got another amazing review this week from um, Harrinder. And he says, a must listen is the title. He or she. Um, I'm not sure. He or she. We'll go with that. I'm not sure. He or she says, I'm very grateful to have stumbled upon this podcast. I own two businesses, a commercial cleaning company and a wedding photography business. The information I learned from Joe's podcast is absolutely incredible. It is real estate focused, which is something I'm very interested in, but the content that I receive from all of his experience and successful guests have provided me with the gems that I can apply to both of my businesses. 
Joe is like a podcast surgeon, dissecting his guests with precision questions and getting all the valuable information out of them without any of the fluffy stuff or the $100,000 in medical debt too. <laughs> I highly recommend this podcast and I'm very grateful that it exists. It will grow and inspire you. Joe and Theo, you guys rock. Thank you wow. so much for putting out such valuable content. It's a really good review. What a wonderful review. Man, thank you so much for that. And I think you have a fourth business after you start the real estate investing. That will be three. And then the fourth is being a writer, mm-hmm. writing a book or something. Wow, you, you got a talent for writing. Well, thank you so much for that review. And best ever listeners, if you want to help grow the community and help us get better guests or continue to get, all those other guests are terrible, to continue to get high quality guests is what I should say, then please leave a review and that helps attract future guests that we speak to. So thanks so much and everyone have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Real Estate Innovators podcast explores innovation in commercial real estate technology, design, and development. They celebrate the companies and innovators who are changing the business of commercial real estate and are inspiring the future of how we work, live, and play. Find out more at therealestateinnovators.com.